You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. My fellow Americans, whom I have gratefully served for 60 years, and especially my fellow Arizonians, thank you for the privilege of serving you and for the rewarding life that service in uniform and in public office has allowed me to lead. I've tried to serve our country honorably. I've made mistakes, but I hope my love for America will be weighed favorably against them. I've often observed that I am the luckiest person on earth. I feel that way even now as I prepare for the end of my life. I've loved my life, all of it. I've had experiences, adventures, friendships, enough for 10 satisfying lives, and I am so thankful. Like most people, I have regrets, but I would not trade a day of my life in good or bad times for the best day of anybody else's. I owe the satisfaction to the love of my family. One man has never had a more loving wife or children he was prouder of than I am of mine. And I owe it to America to be connected to America's causes, liberty, equal justice, respect for the dignity of all people, brings happiness more sublime than life's fleeting pleasures. Our identities and sense of worth are not circumscribed, but are enlarged by serving good causes bigger than ourselves. Fellow Americans, that association has meant more to me than any other. I lived and died a proud American. We are citizens of the world's greatest republic, a nation of ideals, not blood and soil. We are a blessing to humanity when we uphold and advance those ideals at home and in the world. We have helped liberate more people from tyranny and poverty than ever before in history. And we have acquired great wealth and power in the progress. We weaken our greatness when we confuse our patriotism with tribal rivalries that have sown resentment and hatred and violence in all the corners of the globe. We weaken it when we hide behind walls rather than tear them down. When we doubt the power of our ideals rather than trust them to be the great force for change they have always been. We are 325 million opinionated, vociferous individuals. We argue and compete and sometimes even vilify each other in our raucous public debates. But we have always had so much more in common with each other than in disagreement. If only we remember that and give each other the benefit of the presumption that we all love our country, we will get through these challenging times. We will come through them stronger than before. We always do. Ten years ago, I had the privilege to concede defeat in the election for president. I want to end my farewell to you with heartfelt faith in Americans that I felt so powerfully that evening. I feel it powerfully still. Do not despair of our present difficulties. We believe always in the promise and greatness of America. 
because nothing is inevitable here. Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. Farewell, fellow Americans. God bless you, and God bless America. That was Rick Gates <clears throat> reading the final... Uh, I'm not choking up. I'm <laughs> I just wasn't prepared to talk. That was Rick Gates reading the final statement from uh, Senator John McCain, who passed away this past weekend at 81. It was not a surprise. He actually died on the ninth anniversary, nine years to the day of Teddy Kennedy's death of the same disease, the same brain cancer. Um, you know, I have a I have complicated feelings about John McCain, and I think. Most people probably do, which is part of the reason that we like him is that you know exactly that you don't know where you stand with him. You know, with so many politicians, you know exactly where they stand and what they're about. And it's like they do get divided into that tribalism. But one of the things that I really do like about John McCain um, and, and, you know, I basically told people, listen, I, I don't want to trash the guy in death. I think if you're trying to convert people to libertarianism, it is, especially on the day that the guy passes away, if your goal is to convert people to libertarians, trashing him is not going to convert anybody to libertarianism, but it's going to make it much harder the next day. Uh, and so I don't believe in being a grotesque person and you know really beating a guy down, but I do think that John McCain is enigmatic of a lot of different parts of our politics and modern politics and especially the last 30 40 years and many of the philosophies and i do think that his passing is he's kind of the end of it uh there he's the end of the last i i don't know how to put this and and so i'm really kind of probably going to talk about mccain a lot over the next week just because there's so much to unpack when it comes to his career and his personality and and the politics that he really championed. Um, McCain, in my opinion, is one of the final people to really believe certain myths. <laughs> or at least he, he lived past the period, he just stayed on the stage too long. I, you know, when I listen to that, I hear, I watched yesterday the HBO documentary about McCain, For Whom the Bell Tolls. You know, I listen to that, I read all the tributes, I watch all this stuff, and I just kind of go, you know, we're we're listening to people promote values of a politics that just doesn't exist anymore. First of all, I, I don't necessarily think, like, the whole Reagan and Tip used to hang out at the White House, I, like, that is a myth that Reagan basically said on a William F. Buckley interview that... He he and Nip, he and uh, Tip O'Neill, this Democratic Speaker of the House, who was super powerful from Boston, uh, did get together until Tip basically was a dick to him, and then they stopped getting together. So it is kind of an uh, an urban legend that they used to do that. But I think yeah, these guys, your colleagues, you may have different opinions, and they did get along. And I just I, there's so many different strains about that that I just don't know that those are true or false right like i'm sure it is much more divided you know biden but biden even talked about when mccain first got there he started talking to mccain in the early 80s and another senator came up and said like why are you talking to him and he's like because he's a nice guy 
You know, so I think that the idea that everybody in Washington, D.C. is divided now is sort of a myth. And McCain was a little too bipartisan. And that's part of the problem with him is that he he's too eager to side with people who want to use big government to solve problems. You know, McCain was not a, a limited government guy, no matter what sort of fictions were spun in the 2008 election. I remember people like, he's actually, he was a big Reagan person. It's like, no, he wasn't. Like He may have been, but he's not anymore. John McCain believed in the ideal that government can be a force for good. And in much the way that Barack Obama thinks the same way, or Elizabeth Warren, or Bernie Sanders, they think that government can be a force for good, be it our military, be it domestic policy, but I'm fundamentally opposed to that idea. So right off the bat, John McCain and I are looking at politics through a prism that just doesn't jive. You know, It's hard for me as a person who believes that government starts with the individual, and doesn't go much further <laughs> uh, to look at somebody who thinks that a powerful federal government can solve the problems of the world. And I think the mourning over John McCain is really more about the powerful mourning, the loss of, in some ways, their power, in some ways, the politics that they've been comfortable with for the last 30 or 40 years, you know, especially boomers. Um, there's there's this constant imploring in all of these interviews, begging, let us return to a time of civility. Let us return to a time of civility. Like, John McCain, you know, I'm old enough to remember the 2008 election. Like, he was considered scary and dangerous, and he called his wife the C-word, and he, you know, and he would curse at people, and he was, you know, part of the maverick thing was that he had this temper problem, and he was irascible, and... It's funny that all the people who are just giving these deifying tributes currently are the same people that I watched in 2007, 2008 tear the guy down and make him look like the Donald Trump of 2007 and 2008. So all of the sudden he has become this deified figure in the press and it's just really mysterious <laughs> like how that how that happened. Um, and so you have all these media figures and politicians begging to return to this time of civility. And I just find that to be kind of hollow. Um, so, you know, McCain really, at the end of the day, is part of this view of Washington, the, the swamp view, so to speak, where consolidating power, overspending sending troops overseas needlessly, growing the size of government. You know, the, these these are their ideas, and it has led to a complete breakdown of the system. I mean, I think, in fact, nobody has... Le- there are probably not many politicians that led to the rise of Donald Trump more than John McCain. You know, be it the fact that he was sort of this irascible person who said things off the cuff, and the press ran with it and made him look like he was a dangerous person, and then that sort of... I mean, that pissed off a lot of Republicans at the time. And then, you know, it happened to Mitt Romney, too. And Mitt Romney was, oh, Putin and Russia are the greatest dangers ever. Okay. Obama, you know, the clip of him saying the 1980s called and wants your foreign policy back was just run wall to wall. And the binders full of women and mocking him. And, 
you know, it's interesting now, like, these two are folk heroes amongst the press and the left. Um, and I think that there, there has been a concerted effort over the last, you know, year or two by McCain, by his people, and by the press to turn him into the anti-Donald Trump to wound Donald Trump, because I think McCain has serious, rightful <laughs> disagreements with Donald Trump. I mean, the the, the idea that Donald Trump once said that he doesn't like his war heroes captured or something along those lines is insane to me. Like, if you watch what, what John McCain went through in the first act of his life, and, you know, he was um, kind of a mess and, and lower at the, at the bottom of his... Uh, and, and he talks about this. I was a terrible Navy, naval student. And then uh, goes to Vietnam, gets shot down as he's a, he's a pilot over Vietnam. He gets shot down. He gets put into the Hanoi Hilton, refuses to be, I mean, really almost left for dead. And when they realize he's not getting any better, they put him in a cell with two other American soldiers, and those two nurse him back to health. Uh, and then once they realize he's back to health, they put him in solitary confinement for like two years and continually torture him and you know maimed his body i mean that's why he limped it's why he had the uh, problem lifting his arm so you have um someone who you know and he was offered the chance to go home but he recognized that he was going to be used as uh propaganda the viet the viet cong were basically going to say see the the sons of admirals the grandsons of admirals get special treatment in america and so they're they're all elitist, blah blah blah, and so he recognized that, and, and he said no, he did not go home, and that's when the torture started. So, you know, McCain was a legitimate war hero, and uh, I th- I think watching that documentary and kind of reviewing his life, he he is a very stoic person. He has higher ideals. He believes in courage, not just the courage that it takes to not want to go home when you're offered the chance to go home, no matter the cost to your country or your fellow soldiers, but also the courage to say things that are unpopular or do things that are unpopular. I mean, sinking the Obamacare uh, repeal was one of the most disappointing things ever from a, a person who believes in limited or non-existent government. Um, but you know that took a lot of knowing that he was going to be the one. Obviously, all through his career, he just has these moments. Like in two thousand and in the two thousand election, you know, he had something called the Straight Talk Express, where McCain allowed the reporters to be on the bus at all times, all around the campaign, and they were always a part of it. And you know, he was in South Carolina, and in that election, in that primary, the flag was a big deal, the Confederate flag over the uh, state capitol. And he basically put out a phony baloney statement saying he supported it. And they talk about in this documentary about how that was the one time that he didn't trust his gut, and it killed him. It's one of the things that single-handedly lost that primary for him, because he was coming out of New Hampshire where he had clobbered Bush, and, uh, you know, a few months after that, he went back to North Carolina and apologized and said, I was wrong and you're, you all need to take this flag down. And like, this is not 2018 politics where people are, are, are much more tolerant 
I mean, I was watching a Louis C.K. comedy bit from 10 years ago, and he was using the N-word. I mean, it's like, how was that possible? I mean, I don't even remember that world, and that was a decade ago. You know, this guy 20 years ago was going and saying, take your flag down because it's racially insensitive and inappropriate. Like, that's balls, man. I think So I really like that that aspect of John McCain who said what he thought. I knew where he stood. I knew what he believed in. He believed in higher ideals. He believed in courage. He believed in sacrifice. I like these qualities about him. It's just that when it came to his view of how the government worked, we had very fundamental disagreements, especially in foreign policy. You know, he was one of the people who really pushed the Iraq war and the and the war in Afghanistan and a million people died as a result of it. He pushed intervention in Libya and Syria and all these different places. I mean, he he has a terrible track record. His ideas time and time again have started wars and as a non-interventionist, I have to look at somebody who is a, a foreign policy hawk and neocon and go, "You're everything that is wrong with American foreign policy." Um but at the same time, he was the leading voice against torture. You know, as we, we did an episode on torture a couple weeks ago on We Are Libertarians. And the man was the moral voice against torture at a time when torture was largely acceptable in politics. You know, he went against his party. He went against his friends. He went against his own interests. You know, in the 2008 election, he, he probably could have pulled that off. You know, he had the more name ID. He's running against a funny named black guy, let's be honest, who was a complete unknown, who had socialist ideals, and he just refused to go negative against him because of his experience in 2000. Um, he, you know, the famous clip that they just keep showing. Uh, the thing about the media coverage of this is they, they show the same things over and over and over. You know, it, if you watch all this coverage and they show him pulling the microphone from the lady who says he's not, you know, Obama's a Muslim. They show him limping onto the Senate floor for the last time. They show maybe his last speech, uh, you know, and they show some of the war stuff. But they don't show like the Keating Five where basically he tried to help a large donor in Arizona named Keating cover up his uh, savings and loan scandal issues. You know where he was. He was basically engaging in corruption. They don't show every aspect. They don't even show some of the things like the 2000 speech, where he went to South Carolina. Where that's a very clear cut in my mind. That's something that most politicians would not do. They'd move on and forget it, pretend it never happened. I don't want to bring this up. You know, but he he went back and did it. So they just showed like the most recent things and it's the most lazy stuff it's the easy one to grab in their carousel of clips that you know they search John McCain and they go down to the you know I'll go down to the third clip from 2 years ago it's very lazy journalism uh they don't these tributes are not really good tributes after watching that uh, documentary about John McCain you have a much greater appreciation for the man, if not maybe not his ideals, um, but you know he he, uh, he he the thing about watching that and the thing about listening to to this speech and reading his words and you know what uh, he was asked by CNN. Let me see where this is. He was asked by CNN, "How do you want to be remembered?" And this was in 2017. Uh, he served his country. And this is McCain speaking. He served his country and not always right, made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of errors, but served his country. And I and I hope we could add honorably. There's a 
I don't want you to think I'm being a dick. <laughs> because the what, the way that he performed in Vietnam was something I could not do. It is It was courage above what I have inside of me. Uh, as far as I know. I've not been tested in that way. But what has happened over the last year, like I said, is he is intentionally kind of feeding this idea that he was... You know, the, ah, shucks, I made mistakes. I'm humble, but I'm an honorable war hero who loved his country and service and service and service. And I have to ask, like, in service to what? And so part of my problem with some of the tributes to McCain is that we are honoring ideals that are un-American. And there are some things that John McCain believed and advocated for that I believe are just fundamentally un-American. I don't think that he was an un-American. I don't think he was un-American. I don't think that he, I think he thought he was doing what was right. I think he and I just disagree. Um, But I think at the end of the day, when you want to use the military to go to every country on earth and have a presence, that's a problem. I don't believe that that represents American values. Uh, when you want to limit free speech through something like McCain-Feingold, I don't think that those are American values. Uh, I think that John McCain, when he talks about service and when people talk about John McCain and his love of his country and the love of service, I think John McCain is talking about the love of the United States government as it exists now. And so I just can't get on that train. You know, I can get on the train with some parts of John McCain, but I can't get on the idea that Loving my country means that the government is right and good and that it is a force for good. And yes, there are mistakes, but ultimately, if we empower the government to do things, it will be better. So I know it's not a great tribute, (laughs) Uh, but I want to be fair. I I see so many libertarians just being, you know, rude. And I don't want to be rude to the guy. You know, I, 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 I try to do this show and I fail sometimes. Uh, you know, and people call me out on that. But I tried to do this show that if um, Megan McCain listened to this, this podcast, she wouldn't be offended by it. Because I think fundamentally, we're never going back to the time when Tip and Reagan got drinks. We're never going back to the time where Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg went on safari together. Like, I think that, that those greatest generation ideals that bled into some of the senators of the boomer generation those are gone in a lot of ways with the millennial crowd so i don't know that we're ever going to go back to that and i think politics has been fundamentally transformed through obama and donald trump and i don't think that we're ever going to get back to the place where service means helping your country meaning helping your government Uh, and i'm thankful that that's the case Because to me, service to your fellow American means charitable work. Which if you want to donate to charity, please go to my Facebook page. I'm raising money for Rupert's Kids for my birthday fundraiser. Uh, Please check that out. I'll I'll put it in the show notes too. Um, That to me is is service to my fellow man. That is service to my country. You know, doing this is service to my country. Where I'm talking about the ideas that make America great. And, and pointing out the places where I think America is failing. And one of those places is, is honoring ideas that are bad. And I think so many boomer Republican flag-waving patriots, quote-unquote, 
just have a complete un-American view of how so many things operate. Uh, you know, and, and I've said this before, that, and that I think that Donald Trump's view of American exceptionalism is that America has the most money, America has the most weapons, and that we have a white culture. And I think that's a, that's a complete betrayal of American ideals, which is American, which is libertarian ideals, which is limited government natural rights instead of positive rights, meaning a natural right is you were just born with it and the government is restrained from doing anything. Whereas positive rights, I look at what the government ought to be doing to solve these problems. Um, you know, peace. I, I don't I don't think that Donald Trump or Barack Obama for that matter or or John McCain viewed peace in the same way that I view peace. Or the in the same way that American exceptionalism truly means peace, which is not engaging in the world through our military, but engaging in the world through our commerce. So, I I do believe that John McCain was a patriot. I just think that John McCain's values weren't all that patriotic in the definition as I would define it. So, um, as I mentioned, if if I have more thoughts on it, then we're going to talk about him a little more, because I think he is like I said, the last of that generation, that, that they're, they're kind of fooling themselves. Like They're kind of trying to talk themselves into believing that they did good. And I have to be honest, I don't think you can look at the Congress and the President and the United States government over the last 40 or 50 years and say they did good or did well or did the right thing. Um, you know, and I would imagine being a libertarian audience, you agree. Um, but I do think that, that there are some serious lessons about John McCain as a man and living for a higher purpose, living for a higher ideal. Um, I think that if John McCain were the type of person who were living for himself, he would have completely run with the Jeremiah Wright stuff. He would have not sunk his own campaign by being so virtuous. Um, but I think he had convictions about how politics was supposed to operate and fundamental decency as a person and wasn't going to betray his own values. And when John McCain, as all of us do, betrayed his own values, he called himself on it. And so I do think that there are a lot of lessons about John McCain that we can all look at and go, we should be more like that. We should, we should think about what we believe. We should think about our higher values. We should think about how we can engage in the world to make it a better place and what we can stand for. Uh, and we, we will all be a better people because of it. And so... Um, you know, for instance, they talk, uh, one guy was talking about how he was in a, he was like in an Indonesia and this guy was talking to him and he was like a journalist or a politician or something. And he said, you know, I know, I know that we're poor and downtrodden and being persecuted right now, but John McCain will help us, you know, because that guy in a third world country understood that John McCain wanted to help liberate people. Now, unfortunately for that guy, <laughs> the propaganda of how Americans liberate people kind of changed uh, under John McCain's watch. And that's my biggest problem with John McCain. Um, another sad story uh, over the weekend. We had another uh, shooting at Jacksonville Landing. I've been to Jacksonville Landing a few times. Um, uh, so I'm going to go uh, thank you to Hody Johns and thank you to all the people that stepped up to be on the research team because we put together a nice little prep staff 
of about half a dozen people that are now in our, our little prep staff slack and uh, working on helping me prep. I mean, it's Monday night. Normally, I'm still scrambling and uh, I have most of the shows done this week already because, uh, you know, I basically, to, to do this on a daily basis, I'm going to need help in prepping stuff and putting things together because it's just, it's too many topics. And so I did what I normally don't do, which is ask for help and trusting other people to engage. And uh, people like Hody and some of the Matthew Brown, some of the other guys in there are really uh, stepping up and, and going all the way. So I appreciate their help because... They've exceeded my expectations already, and I think the quality of what you're going to get as a listener, both on the air and then in the show notes, which you should go to We Are Libertarians every single day now, because every single day we're going to be putting all kinds of content on there. We're going to be putting links. I mean, today's link roll from this weekend of stories that we've collected is overwhelming, (laughs) and that's just today. So... All the relevant information, anything you might need to know in the world, is right there. So we had another mass shooting over the weekend, uh, another sad situation. A shooter opened fire at Jacksonville Landing, a marketplace and entertainment area in downtown Jacksonville, during a video game tournament where uh, police said at least three people, including the shooter, were killed and 11 others were injured. We're not going to read the shooter's name. I don't believe in... uh, publishing the name of the shooter. I, I think that if you're going to say that Alex Jones is perpetuating violence because he is giving these veiled statements that somehow people are going to read into it that this is a cue to act on violence, so that is reason enough to pull him from social media, then publishing the name of a shooter, I think, qualifies as uh, pulling CNN, NBC, all of the major media outlets need to go, if that's your qualification. Um, so Inquisitor says, uh, the shooter was a gamer who was competing in the tournament and lost. The day before, EA, uh, the gaming company, had a small blurb about him on Twitter in which they said he's not here to make friends. But they kind of made it sound like every gamer there was a tough guy. Um, the victims were Eli Trueboy Clayton and Taylor Spot Me Please Robertson, both fellow gamers. Trueboy can be seen in the video... In, in our sources at WeAreLibertarians.com. The feed fades from him to the screen in less than one second before you can hear the shots that kill him. Uh, the fade was not done for privacy. That's just how the video went. So there's a lot of video on this, and uh, it's it's pretty disturbing. I did not look at it because I don't want to put that in my head. So this happened 8.26, around 1.30 p.m., um, when people started calling about the shooting at the Chicago Pizza. Um. There was an, uh, it's next to the GLHF game bar, which was hosting a Madden NFL video game tournament at the time. Um, so there's a video that gained a, uh, not much attention where True Boy, one of the guys that ended up getting killed, can be seen yelling back and forth with someone at the end of the tournament on the day before the shooting. Um, we can't confirm here at Weird Libertarians that that was Katz he is yelling with, but if it, if it is, there may have been a previous confrontation between the two. Uh, the Inquisitor article and eyewitnesses seem to offer little other explanation aside from the fact that he lost, um, but we still don't know why he did it. Uh, there were reports today that he suffered from mental illness, obviously. Um, so this is a gun-free zone, which a lot of conservatives are saying was the cause that uh, that he he was that people were killed because there weren't guns there. Um, you know, a number of people have complained at, at 
this particular venue that there is a lack of security and that there should be more at these big tournaments. Um, so uh, take that for all it's worth. You know, this is a big public event, and it really raises the question of, are these big public events, like if you have a public event like this, are you going to have to be required, or should you ethically be required to hire security? You know, if you're going to have it at a gun-free zone, should you hire trained security? Like, is that the way that people will compromise? If you're not, if you're not going to allow regular people who are responsible gun owners to carry guns, then are you going to pay, force people to start paying for security when you have something that honestly would have been a safe environment five years ago? Um, so, initially, four people were dead, but it, it ended up only being the three. Um, so... Not a lot of conversation about this because the media has been obsessed with the uh, with the John McCain passing, but there's also a very muted response in Florida because there's an election on Tuesday. Like Senator Bill Nelson, who is the sitting senator running against uh, Governor Rick Scott, Rick Scott's probably going to beat him and unseat him. Um, you know, Bill Nelson's one of these people who's who's just kind of a a workhorse, somebody you probably didn't know was a senator until the Parkland shooting and his campaign when he felt he needed to get himself out more. And that's sort of why he's going to lose. And, and so the system now seems to reward the people who are sitting in front of a camera instead of actually doing the work of the Senate or talking to constituents, which is a bummer. Um, but pretty much all of the, all of the typical predictions, uh, the Democrats, Gwen Graham running for governor. I am tired of hearing thoughts and prayers from those who do nothing. We need to end these mass shootings, and the only way to do that is to vote out the politicians complicit in this cycle of death. Uh, so, yeah. The, so it's just kind of your your typical stuff. So, um, uh, obviously, not really any any brand new thoughts on that. Um, I think it's it's just one of those situations where. You have a gun free, and I have no idea how he got the gun. It's still way too early to like dive into too much of this stuff. But I wanted to give you some of the basic facts. So now on to some of the lesser covered news stories, undercover news, where we bring you some of the things that are not covered. Uh, French President Macron says Europe can no longer count on the U.S. All right, now this <clears throat> this is really good. All right, so maybe this whole Trump thing is working out. Listen to what he says. French President Emmanuel Marc, Marc, eh, Macron said that he would put forward new proposals for the European Union to boost its security, saying the bloc must stop depending on American might, AFP reports. Said Macron, Europe can no longer rely on the United States for its security. It is up to guarantee European se- security. Finally. <laughs> oh, that's music to my ears. We're not going to be the policemen of the world. Uh, the Democrats stripped superdelegates of power and reformed their caucuses. Uh, so they got rid of the superdelegate system, which basically guaranteed a Hillary Clinton win. And completely, Bernie Sanders had no shot because of the superdelegates. And it's a silly system anyway. So they, they stripped that. Uh, the reform package was uh, pushed by... Tom Perez and allies of Bernie Sanders, and it was passed overwhelmingly by a voice vote at the summer meeting uh, two years after this process starts. So the change will prohibit superdelegates from voting for president at the party's 2020 convention unless the outcome is already assured or it deadlocks, which hasn't happened in decades. Uh, The vast majority of superdelegates sided with Clinton. 
this leak today, Republicans secret, secretly prepare for their coming hell. <laughs> so Axios, which is a very reliable news source on what's happening in, in the Capitol building especially, um, congressional Republicans are getting ready for hell. Axios has obtained a spreadsheet that circulated through Republican circles on and off Capitol Hill, including at least one leadership office excuse me, that meticulously previews the investigations Democrats will likely launch if they flip the House. And it has like a hundred formal requests from Democrats, this Congress alone, spanning every committee. And uh, the journalist writes, these demands would turn the Trump White House into a 24-7 legal defense operation. So as if, as if it wasn't already lawfare, <laughs> you're now going to... I mean, for libertarians, it's kind of good. I mean, Trump is not going to get anything done. So uh, the government grinds to a halt. John McCain's former Vietnamese jailer gives him the heartfelt tribute that Trump has refused to offer. And that was Raw Story's headline. But the Daily Beast uh, reported a Vietnam news spor- uh, story that spoke with Tran Trong Duye, the man who ran the uh, Hanoi Hilton. It was Hoa Lo Prison, but uh, the Hanoi Hilton where McCain was held. In addition to praising McCain for his bravery and toughness as a soldier, Duye also gave credit to McCain for working to normalize relations between the U.S. and Vietnam after America's eventual defeat in the war. At that time, I liked him personally for his toughness and strong stance, he said. Later on, when he became a U.S. senator, he and Senator Kerry greatly contributed to promote the Vietnamese-U.S. relations, so I was very fond of him. When I learned about his death early this morning, I feel very sad. I would like to send condolences to his family I think it's the same feeling for all Vietnamese Vietnamese people as he has greatly contributed to the development of Vietnam and US relations. Uh so final art uh, final letter I want to read a letter to you from uh, my main man Hody. Uh, uh no, I'm sorry, Shane Owens. Hody's Hody's tomorrow. Uh, I want to do, he, he writes me, uh, dear leader, I wanted to make sure you know that you received a thumbs up on the new content you added. I know it isn't much, but I've changed my Patreon from $5 to $10 a month. I may not always agree with you on what you say, how dare you, but you seem honest and willing to call libertarians on our BS. It isn't irregular for libertarian commentators to have one or both of these characteristics, but I enjoy seeing them from someone who I would say is a genuinely more of a media personality and not a would-be philosopher or economist. I hope that descriptor is fair and not off-putting in any way, not at all. I hope to continue to hear from you on a daily basis with news updates and that you know your work is appreciated. Best regards, Shane Owens. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate that. If you want to write uh, into the program then please, editor at wearelibertarians.com. I appreciate that. I'm enjoying doing this, especially now that I've got a little team helping put things together. It's going to be extremely helpful. Um, and yeah, my, my goal is to be a radio program. Uh, I, I work in radio. I've loved radio my whole life, and I think that's the best way to present audio. I don't think that um, trying to do things as in a professorial way. Uh, there's plenty of people who do that, and I'm trying to speak in a common language, mostly because that's where my IQ is. <laughs> so, all right, thanks for joining me here on The Chris Spangle Show. I don't think I ever introduced myself. I, I was just too ready to go. Uh, but that's what you're listening to if you've, <laughs> if you've made it 39 minutes into this and, and we're una- unaware. But uh, thanks for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.